is Reasons to be Cheerful, live. Welcome to the stage, Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyds. Hello. Ed just asked if, uh, if he was too casual. What do we think? Great. I think we should congratulate our audience for coming, actually, don't you think? Thank you. We, uh, we do appreciate you coming out tonight. And we, we, we've been affected. We have been affected, yeah. One of our guests, who is with us, yeah. Sue, uh, is, isn't here because she's... Into, we don't want to say who she came into contact with, do we? Social isolation, anyway. Yeah, and yeah. she's really gutted not to be doing it. Absolutely. Uh, so, so what are we talking about this evening, then? We are talking about land and how we use land and sustainable farming. Uh, which is a really important subject because it is, I think, 12% of our carbon emissions come from the way we use land. It's a matter of debate, uh, and it's, I think it is really interesting that the way the culture is changing. We talked on the podcast about Veganuary. You were already there. Well, you were there as a vegetarian. Yeah, yeah. I'm nudging up against 70% vegan at this point. Is that right? Yeah. Is that up from... Like your Uber rating is yeah. up from what it, what it used to be. Very much so. That's where the rest of my focus has been. What's your favourite vegan dish? Not that you've ever cooked it for me, but anyway, what is your favourite vegan dish? Brussels sprouts in miso are pretty good. I am gutted that the local Whole Foods is out of them. Because but you, you got is that, that like a main meal, Brussels sprouts in miso? <laughs> it can be. Yeah. Now, I have to say, before we, we get on with the show, I learned something quite shocking about Ed just before we came out here tonight. Well, I'm going to be spending Saturday afternoon at a driver vehicle awareness course. Yeah, I know. I so thought what, I would what, confess. What, what, what okay, the thing is, I'm now going to sort of make excuses and make it even worse. I mean, at least I took the points myself, or not the points, actually, in this case, but the driver vehicle <laughs> awareness course myself. But you did I, ask me. I did I said, not. Ed, I can't drive. <laughs> I, then you I asked did not Justine. ask you. No, it's because it was the day after the general election, and I, I, was like, I think it was like 57 in a 50-mile-an-hour zone. So, Hang on, it was the day after the general election, and you wanted to get back to Westminster? Yeah, I suppose that is a bit ironic. Wow. I want to get back to see my family. Right. Um, and uh, so it's bad, yeah. But I'm going to be spending four hours in the Crown Plaza in Ealing, if any of you would like to come along. Uh, <laughs> to learn about my vehicle awareness. How far did we get in talking about what we're, we're doing? We... we haven't talked about Robin. So, so there's that, and then coming to give us some potential reasons to be cheerful, to share some ideas, we have one of our finest comedians, you'll know him from The Infinite Monkey Cage on Radio 4. It's Robin Ince. Yeah. That's, that's exciting. Ooh. What's your reason to be cheerful? My reason to be cheerful is, you know what's coming, and by the time this podcast is released... I don't know what's coming. ...on Monday, uh, and it will only be a day away, the Equilux. So it's when... <laughs> I think it's when the... We like, I bet Robin Intel know exactly what it yeah. is. But I believe it's when the days are as dark as they are light. I... Totally agree with you. But yep. I didn't know that was the word. Yeah. It's just somebody who could just... It's not the same as the equinox. It's slightly different. That's a, a little bit later. Is anybody who can just help me out with exactly what the equilux is? No. No, that's fine. <laughs> In fact, can I just go back on what I said? It was exactly how I described it. And well, what's the equinox, then? 
Does, you don't need to know about the equinox. You don't know. Let's do just look forward to the equinox. Yeah, okay. Well, that's not wish our lives away. I, I, it's, I know November is like so depressed. I mean, I know we're not in November, but it, November is so, yeah. so it's yeah. so depressing, isn't it? It's behind us now. It's behind us and ahead of us. Well, I mean, yes, so <laughs> time works coming up um, as well. <laughs> what's uh, what's your I mean, reason? That's where you get the big bucks for? What's uh, your reason to be cheerful? Uh, my reason to be cheerful is that I am writing a book, a uh, book of ideas ba- uh, based on the podcast. Uh, and it's going to come out later this year, and it's called Go Big, and uh, you can pre-order it. Um, uh, so it's a shameless plug, and it's quite exciting. That's great. So is it, is it going to be hardback? Hardback and paperback, hopefully. I mean, if it, <laughs> if it does really badly, it won't go to paperback, but I mean, uh, assuming it doesn't. So it's exciting. And it? are you self-publishing, or is somebody actually... <laughs> It's not like yeah, with these vanity press. Yeah, things. I'm self-publishing. Like Fifty actually. Shades of Grey. Yeah, I'm sort of doing the photocopying myself. And, so we uh, describe our hair. Uh, but you can also pre-order it. Um, have I mentioned that? Uh, so I'd like you all to pre-order it. Um, so have you thought about what the cover will look like? So, you know, you yeah, there is a cover, actually. You can see the cover. That's good news. Yeah. <laughs> so Why? It's some loosely bound pages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, congratulations. I look Thank forward you. to that. When's that coming out? Uh, when it's written, uh, no, uh, it's sort of it's 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 somewhat written um, by by the end of the year. I'm saying to be safe. Shall we? Let's. Okay. So, uh, can you welcome our guests who I failed to introduce earlier? Belinda Gordon, who is strategy director at Green Alliance, and Vicky Hurd, sustainable farming coordinator at Sustain. So, um, we are talking about farming, land, and all of that. Um, I, I suppose I'd start by saying, is it, I would say as somebody who grew up in a city, mainly in London, we, don't re- we haven't really had to think about land use, have we, for the last few decades? I mean, it's just not the kind of thing that we've thought about, and we kind of need to, don't we? And maybe you can explain, and Belinda, I'll come to you first, so why? Yeah, so, so our, as you said, our, our emissions, um, greenhouse gas emissions from land use are about um, 12% of the UK's emissions. And the problem is that, um, so, so, you know, not, not huge, but uh, the problem is that um, the emissions from land use haven't been coming down in the way that they have from other sectors. So proportionally, it's really growing. And that's why we need to start paying some attention to it. And then also, you know, there's so so it can play a role in climate change, but there's also a, a nature crisis. You know, in my in my lifetime, the the number of farmland birds has dropped by by more than half, which is just incredible. I'm I'm not that old, so you know. <laughs> um, and um, uh, and and so these there are these sort of twin environmental crises that land is it can really help play a role in, um, not only by reducing emissions restoring nature um but also um you know land can act as a carbon sink so it's not just reducing emissions it can help play a part in solving the climate change problem and just to underline this point while emissions from power have gone down a lot yeah basically in other sectors it's been flatlining yeah. and farming is one of them farming yeah. and land use is yeah one of them. farming is particularly one of them so yeah our, you know the, the uk's sort of journey um towards net zero has been 
net zero emissions has been pretty good so far, but it is largely due to the power sector, uh, so the switch to renewables, which, you, you know, which is a amazing success story but it hasn't really affected all of our lives that much you know we still flick a switch and and the lights come on Um, whereas these other sectors like sort of transport the way we heat our homes and you know the food we eat and the landscapes we enjoy um, they they are going to have to change and and that is going to affect us a lot more and, 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 and they haven't been so far and what would that transformation to net zero look like from a land perspective well, <laughs> I mean, there's loads of different scenarios. There's, you know, depending on who you're talking to, you could be saying a huge amount of crops being fed to our um, power stations, and that would be energy crops in, you know, re- big monocrops, which wouldn't really be serving us food that we need. It wouldn't be sorting the, the nature crisis. So um, we're looking for a real mixture. Each farm have a mixture of, of trees and really good pasture if they've got livestock and a mixture of um, crops, so diversifying the cropping system because that is really good for um, nature. We know that and having a mixed system, but it's also um, inevitably better for the soil, which can actually draw down a lot of that carbon that we're talking about. So you've got carbon sequestered into the soil, trees locking in soil, um, and providing a a more diverse diet um, and a a better system for nature. So there is a solution. There is a reason to be careful. Can we just underline this point about that that part of the challenge here is that we could end up um, importing lots of uh, meat and essentially exporting our emissions. So lots of farmers could go out of business, but we still wouldn't really have solved the problem. Or conversely, we could end up with farmers still producing uh, beef and lamb and so on and exporting our emissions that way. So So, so you've got to act on both what we consume and what we produce. So I I think that's true. You know, we're we're locked into these global supply chains and it it isn't just for food products. It's the same for anything we manufacture. Um, So we could, you know, really reduce our our greenhouse gas emissions domestically and say, great, job done, but we're still consuming stuff that is being brought from overseas. And just to be um, clear about this, what, just on the sort of, emissions that come from beef and lamb say as against you know if you had a beef burger versus having a soya burger what's the order of magnitude here it's probably at least at the very least sort of seven times worse in terms of carbon emissions um and just explain I, why that is belinda well um it's uh, it's a sort of variety of reasons but um one is that it's just less efficient to eat an animal that's eaten a load of plants than for us just to eat the plants ourselves. Um, and, um, and so there's lots of wastage in that system, whereas if you eat the plant, there, there's less wastage. And then there's the, um, you know, the, the problem of um, uh, cows and sheep burping. It's not so much farting, I'm afraid. It, it is, it's it's burping burp. rather than farting. Yeah. Did you know that? No, not I didn't. Yeah. And, and their emissions... The, the farts sort of all right. Or they just fart less because um, they have five stomachs. It all comes out this way, uh, yeah. and it's me- it's methane, which is you know incredibly yeah. powerful greenhouse gas. Yeah. No, we sort of. We, we, did you know that about the burping and the farting? No, I didn't. I'd, I'd always heard it was farting. This has uh, already been educational. The, the burping's less glamorous. You know? Right, right, right. They're less exciting. <laughs> and there's a sort of th- funny thing though here, which is that you're saying that it's we've not made any difference. 
people have started to change in terms mm. of what they eat, haven't they? They have. They have. There's been a, a really big shift, and you can see that because the supermarkets have responded. Yeah. They're, they're putting a lot more products on the shelf which are, are less meat or no meat, and not necessarily calling it vegan or vegetarian. They're just sort of presenting it to us, and, and people are eating it. Particularly younger generations are really embracing that change. So um, I think that's a good thing that we should... Um, that trend should be going in the right direction because we've been going in the wrong direction. You know, really big juggernaut of bad food for 40, 50 years. We need to change that juggernaut round, and it's starting already. But we need a lot of other things to happen for that to really be embraced by a lot of people and be, you know, a, a good diet for everybody. So the f- sort of diet gets lots of attention, but another less glamorous thing that um, doesn't get so much attention is food waste, which is right. just, you know, uh, such an inefficient use of resources and, um, and you know... At, depending on how it's treated, can produce loads of emissions as it breaks down. Um, and so that's, you know, something that we can all, we can all play a role in reducing um, as, well as, as well as the dietary shift. And, and how prominent is this as an issue within the farming industry? Oh, very big, very big. I, I've seen some really positive shifts in the, in the farming industry. Um, I was talking about the retailers, and, and they're a big problem because they're squeezing farmers, you know, a lot for, you know, lower prices, harder deals. But farmers, a lot of farmers are looking to do things differently. Even the National Farmers Union have, have announced a net zero target. Um, and, but they've got a long way to go, but they need to be supported by the industry and by, by government in that change. But I think they are listening, and I think there's a very small percentage that are climate deniers or anything like that I, I think that's a definite change and let, let's go on to solutions and talk about individuals farmers and landowners and governments first of all let's start with individuals well, some of this is going to be obvious to our audience some of it maybe not what can individuals do i'm not asking you for sort of kind of necessarily to tell us exactly what we should eat but give us a sense of the scale of change there needs to be because there is a debate about this isn't there i mean at one level the climate change committee assumes i think a 20 percent reduction yeah in, in beef, over in the ruminant. next 30 years in in yeah. beef and uh, lamb uh consumption but that is seen as a relatively low figure public the public health numbers are much more like in the 70 percent yeah. range they're thinking about some of the health um benefits of having a healthier diet with lower red meat and processed red meat which is is known to be better but i think i think you're right i think we need to be more ambitious but at the same time we can we you know it depends what you eat now if you're eating a high meat diet that's not very healthy and it's certainly not sustainable so you should cut it down if you're not eating much now you're, you're probably okay you got a good sustainable diet um, but you also got to think about um, cutting junk you know if we're eating junk food it's really bad for us it's using a lot of land like for sugar and for, for rubbish in your diet let's cut junk and you'll be healthier and more sustainable and so you know and wasting less as, as um, you said that's a really key thing and eating more fruit and veg and pulses is a great thing for your is diet. Is there a danger of sort of junk vegetarian food? There is Definitely. And there is a lot out there. I've seen it. My, my son went a bit vegan about two years ago and he stopped now. But, you know, the proliferation of really heavily processed, salty, junk vegan food was... Dirty vegan, they call it. Yeah. Well, and dirty, dirt is good. I love dirt. Are you a dirty nice. vegan? I wish... I wish so, it was, on a weekend. Yeah. Uh, but, a bit of dirty veganism is all right. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Everything in moderation and we've gone way the wrong way. Let's go back. How back. is the behaviour change going to happen? Because, you know... There's this debate about price, isn't there? There has been lots of talk of a meat tax. I, I personally think that that could ca- cause a real sort of 
yeah. culture war. Yeah. But I do think we should look at the tax system as a whole. You know, VAT could be replaced by a materials-based tax that would... Go, so that would go across everything we consume and make it make low-carbon goods much cheaper and incentivize the purchase of those. So, I th- yeah, th- this could you really subsidize cool. vegetarian food? I don't. I don't think um, you uh, could support horticulture producers better. Yeah, so we think, get more affordable and available fresh fruit and veg. I mean, mm. farming is. I don't like to use the word subsidy, but a lot of public money. Veggie burger bonus. <laughs> a lot. A lot of public money goes into farming. Veggie burger price freeze. Be, that can be uh, tailored oh. better. Mm. Yeah, but I mean, it is a, the pricing is a problem, isn't it? Yes, I mean, I think the pricing of, of all goods is, is a problem in terms of it doesn't incorporate the environmental footprint that, that's, that's created in making those goods. Price isn't right. <laughs> yeah, the price isn't right. <laughs> Sorry to use your game. So, so, so do you think, I mean, you want some action on uh, sort of uh, kind of uh, subsidy and, and so on, but do you think... How else can behaviour change happen among individuals? Do you think education can do it? Well, there's loads of interesting research about, you know, nudge, the little things you can do. So actually I heard a presentation earlier in the week about putting, in cafeterias, putting the vegetarian option first before the meat option, and that really, depending on the distance, that really increased the mm. consumption of the vegetarian option. Just putting out So people are vegetarian. too lazy to read yeah, all I the know, way but, down a menu. No, no, it's actually about walking into a cafeteria. Right, right, They're right. too lazy to uh, walk right, right. like a metre and look at the meat option. You mentioned the, the, the VAT uh, idea before. I'm wondering what else government can do and also will Brexit make a difference to that because we've we've been sold this idea I don't know if rightly or wrongly that the EU has dictated a lot of agricultural and farming policy for a long time is is there some opportunity you know we finally found a reason to be cheerful around Brexit yeah I mean I I, there is a um, there is a huge opportunity we're leaving the common agricultural policy which meant that farmers in the UK were paid uh, our taxpayers' money based purely on the amount of land they owned. So the, more, the bigger the land owner, the more money they got, which was just really perverse. And the government do seem to be taking advantage of this opportunity, and there's an agriculture bill cu- currently going through which is going to shift public money um, so that it goes for goods that we can all enjoy, goods, you know, benefits we can all enjoy, things like reduced farming in ways that reduce flooding, that restore nature, that reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So that, that is a fantastic opportunity, and the government seem to be grasping it. So that's, that is definitely a reason to be cheerful. And what else, what else can government be doing uh, they, on this? Well, we're, we're interested in them getting the right menus in places where people have um have to eat like schools hospitals care homes the armed forces getting those um you know they could overnight set a really solid standard so that it's, it's good good menu with the right amount of meat and the right amount of fruit and, and so veg. government could make a big difference they in could. The public public and we've, we've had loads of initiatives that have done really very little but you also need to have the money to, to and the right resources to pay for that but we also need one big whopping great promise from the government to not allow trade deals to undermine what um was just being talked about the, and is this a, this mm. is not just chlorinated chicken it's not and there's so many ways in which we 
we're, as, as Belinda was saying, we're going to be paying farmers to do the right thing, but they won't be able to carry on doing that if they're going to compete with farmers from America or Australia that, that don't have to use the same standards of pesticide use or animal welfare or, in fact, labour, treating labour decently. You know, they have, very, they have very few standards that we'd agree with in America on labour and on animal welfare. So if, we, if our farmers have to out-compete, it will be very difficult. So there's got to be a big promise, a big legal break on that. And let's talk about trees. Yeah. Because we're all in favour of trees. Yeah. yeah. Anybody not in favour of trees? No. Uh, Any even, tree doubters? Even the meat eaters are in favour of trees. Yeah. But, but trees, I mean, you first get sort of nervous about the tree thing when Donald Trump endorses it because he sort of endorses this trillion tree thing yeah. and you think okay it can't be all good this uh, um i mean trees are really good yeah. but they're not the only answer are yeah, they? yeah I, th- I think that's it all, all the um party manifestos had tree planting targets in yeah. them and um that is um and uh, trees are part of, the, part of the answer but there are other habitats that we've got that are really yeah. valuable so the peat in the uk stores 20 times as much carbon as the trees in the uk and yet that peat is degrading rapidly and is actually emitting carbon so this is a big takeout message isn't yeah. it peatlands yeah. peat is really important and and this has been a long-standing thing yeah. because poor old peatland is not as glamorous as trees yeah. Yeah. it's sort of not getting a look in yeah so there, there are these easy things that government could do to um help restore peat so at the moment it's burnt uh for uh, recreational purposes well um so moorland is burnt and that really damages the peat largely for grouse shooting and then also it's still extracted for use in you know in our gardens and we really don't need it and has the government got a policy on this well, so we're, we're awaiting a, a, a peat strategy. Right. P-E-A-T. We should have a ban on peat burning. Yeah, I mean, and we've known, we've known that for, for years, and um, it just really needs to happen. And you were working as a civil servant, you were saying, 20 years ago. Yeah. And this was an issue 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. So I couldn't actually believe it that it hasn't happened yet. Let's talk about the farmers in this, and farmers and landowners, because... I think, you know, we, there's this phrase used around the climate emergency, just transition, and that's often thought of as about the just transition for fossil fuel workers. But this equally applies to farmers, yeah. doesn't it? Because yeah. lots of farmers, as a result of some of the changes you're talking about, are going to see a big transformation in their way of life. Yeah. How, what, what do we want farmers doing and how do we protect them? So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the average livestock farm in the UK, if you took away you know, public money, taxpayers' money uh, that was going into them, they'd be making a loss of £13,000 a year. So, I mean, there's a huge variety, but this is not a sort of rich sector where, you know, lots of them can go and do all these things just because they believe in them. We've got to make sure that there are the right incentives in place so that they're rewarded for doing the right thing and also demand for products. Um, you know, Vicky's talked about using public uh, procurement to ensure that that the growing the right food is incentivized but you could also use um, use that to incentivize use of timber in construction so that there's actually a business case for them to grow trees it's not just about subsidies and then that all has to rest on really good well-enforced regulations that stop damage to soils and stop stop sort of carbon emissions. so what do we want farmers doing we want them growing trees yeah, and there are things like agroforestry, which is a really, um, really innovative way of farming, um, where you grow some trees and then you could graze livestock underneath or grow another crop underneath. 
Um, and so that can actually be more profitable. Shall we go to the audience? Yeah. Who would like to ask a question, make a comment, um, tell us about their diet? Yep, there's a hand over uh, here. What's your name? Uh, Neil. Hi, Neil. Uh, what's your thoughts on insects and eating, eating insects as a foodstuff that's acceptable around many parts of the world? Eating insects is high in protein. Every and few months, carbon. it's going to be the big thing. It was on Blue Peter last week. Was, was it really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> made loaf. Was it one they made earlier? Loaf or? of bread. <laughs> they made loaf uh, of bread. <laughs> uh. I've done a bit of work on this, actually, because I actually produced some cookies with the cricket flour in the office to see how well it would go down. And uh, I have to say, when I, I got the flour out of the packet, it really stank of cockroaches. So I, so I put loads of ginger and sugar in it, so it wasn't very healthy. But there is a future for insects insects as food insects as feed is the big growth area and they're producing huge amounts of maggots from black soldier flies in billion in their billions and, and then the maggots are just crushed you know they're killed and crushed and made into a protein feed for intensive livestock systems so that's not really the future that we want because a there's a big ethical issue there and b it's maintaining a system potentially that is is not good good overall. What, what was the cookies like? The cookies were great because they were very sugary and very gingery. Um, and you can actually buy products here and the, and you, made the, of insects. Just say what, the, what was in them. Cricket flour. Cricket flour. Ground cricket flour. But you can only buy it What does that mean, ground cricket flour? Well, well the Let's, whole cricket is... To go into the, whole, the whole cricket is killed and then ground down. You can have the whole animal. Always said, no, I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. Uh, and it's sort of... Mm. Now it's appealing after hearing about that. I'm not sure. But maybe it's just sort of cultural... Yeah, we need not, rules about how not to do it. We need uh, we need rules about how to kill them as well. Making sure it's fair. Yeah, uh, let's take other questions. Yep, at the back there. <laughs> My concern is this is a middle class argument. So if you're living on um, a low income, on the minimum wage, and you're a single parent, and actually you support this, how do you do that? Because Good question. What's your name? Stuart. What's the answer to Stuart's question? That is... Mm-hmm. That's a very, very... I mean, in a way, mm. you could make this point about this area or lots of other areas that we're mm. dealing with when it comes to climate emergency. Yeah. Well, one thing to say is the climate emergency is going to come down hardest on the people who have yeah. least means to tackle it, and that's happening now in, in the global south. So that's one, one point, but I totally get where you're coming from. And there are a lot of... Um, work, there's a lot of work being done in my organisation we do a whole load of work to try and get over the, the problems of people who have low incomes or poor um, contracts zero hours contracts and all those kind of things and, and poor welfare which is one of the reasons people can't buy decent food so to tackle the actual um, income issue but there are also lots of good recipe books um, Jack Munro has a brilliant yep. book yep. about eating um, really healthy um, vegan food and there is a lot out there to, to draw on and I think eating um, fresh is going to be cheaper than eating processed it sort of feels like there must be a way rather than having a meat tax of making it just cheaper for people to buy vet- I mean it must be possible don't you think yeah and I think that's where actually supporting farmers mm. to do certain things and grow different things and produce different foods I think that's where there's a role for that so then there's a, a greater supply of you know the, the the healthy foods we want to eat fruit and veg and 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 that should you know that should bring the price down but we're, it, we're looking for some really great initiatives from the government around peri-urban land getting more fruit and veg grown where they used to be grown in market gardens around urban areas around cities and there's loads of brownfield sites and pony paddock 
lakes and golf courses. Maybe perfect to have golf courses, or we could look at that land and, and use it differently and get some fresh fruit and veg near to where the market is. So it's going to be cheaper, getting more direct access, and even having communities growing their own in community-supported agriculture initiatives. They're really growing. There's masses of them now where people get involved in growing their own fruit and veg. Was there a question? Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> I'm Roxanne. I was just wondering what the other environmental benefits uh, that you thought um, uh, for a plant-based diet. I'm thinking of things like um, reducing water consumption as our population continues to grow. Good question. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's there's loads. There's also um, some pulses. The, the pulse sector, which is peas and beans and um, lentils, they actually um, fix nitrogen in the soil when they're grown. So they have their own fertilizer. And so if you're putting more of that into your rotation or into your allotment or whatever, um, you actually need less fertilizers. It's less artificial fertilizers. So having that in a rotation can be fantastically useful for reducing um, those kind of runoffs, which are really bad for, for water um, systems. But also having more plants, more diversity of plants, it's said, better, is better for things like pollinators. We've lost a lot of our insects. We're in, facing insect again, as some people are calling it. We need to get those insects back. And more plants as um, providing refuge for the insects and food for the insects um, is, is a really, really important part of the change that we need. So, yeah, more more plants, more variety of plants is crucial uh, in, in within the rotation within farming um, is absolutely crucial. So, and that would lend itself to people eating more plants. Do many farms go from being farms with cattle to being farms which are about crops and fruit and veg? Is it easy to switch the use of the land? It depends where they are. I think uplands it's it's, um, it's harder, but. I know some farmers who are investing in agroforestry, which Belinda mentioned, you know, putting some trees in. And there's real benefits for the farmers because they, the trees can act both as fodder, the animals eat the trees, and a shelter. And they actually have found, I think it was something like 10% yields or profit, higher profits when they put trees with their, with their animals. So farmers aren't doing that. But I think that's, that's one of the reasons why this is so much trickier than, say, the power sector. Because, you, you know, not, yeah. not that that's... You know, massively easy, but it's not just a pure sort of numbers Switch. game of mm. switching. That you know, it, it, it depends on each place, and that's really uh, crucial with tree planting as mm. well. You know, you, you can't plant trees on sort of species-rich meadows that are actually, or, or on peatland, which is a great carbon store. Yeah. You know, so so it's hard to have these kind of universal policies that you can just do and 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 you get the result you want. Everything has to be quite place specific um which is which is a challenge the other thing we should be making some of these trees fruit and nut trees i i'm always i'm always in meetings people talking about trees and they never forget that we can actually get food from a tree uh, and bushes as well so that Could would you be explain good. that go on well we can have fruit trees you know palm plums and <laughs> apples, apples and plums right right i see so i, I just i just Say fruit and nut tree, then. You no. were thinking of a fruit oh, and nut, weren't you? <laughs> you were thinking of a Cadbury's fruit and nut. Cho- I was thinking, chocolate God, tree. I didn't know that fruit and nut chocolate yeah. grew on trees. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, that is like a revelation. But you can, you can have a mixture where you've got fruit, nut, fruit, nut, and then harvest yeah. it, and then you've not, got a, not on a the mixture same tree. Yeah, not <laughs> the same tree. <laughs> Should we sort of end on a kind of reason to be cheerful? Yeah. Mm. G- give us a reason to be cheerful in this area, because it is sort of, it is, it's quite a lot of moving parts here, farmers, what government does, individual behaviour changes. As you say, Belinda, it's not like the power sector. What, what, give, give us a reason to be cheerful. Well, I think it is um, to do with the uh, opportunity we've now got to deliver a really good 
um, system of supporting farmers to genuinely do things that we all benefit from, and that includes reduced um, greenhouse gas emissions, but also really restore nature. And, you know, if someone had said to me a couple of years ago that we'd be in this place with the, you know, National Farmers Union having set a net zero target, you know, lots of farmers... For 2040. Yeah, for 2040. Lots of farmers, like the Nature Friendly Farming Network, doing lots of really positive stuff. You know, I, I probably wouldn't have believed it. So I think we are you know at, at the on the right trajectory we're at the bottom of it but we're we we are heading in the right direction mm. i suppose i'll go on the demand the demand side you know people are beginning to really embrace better diets and less and better meat and and looking for good meat and that they you know those kind of farmers are, are doing well and they need to be supported pasture-based farmers and those kind of things but also people changing their diets to reflect not just health benefits but environmental benefits it's that's a good thing Okay, please thank our guests, Belinda Gordon and Vicky Hurd. You're listening to Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event. So give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view. An endless field of wildflowers. Or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. Right, shall we bring yeah. on our final guest? Please welcome to stage one of our finest comedians. He is just excellent. It's a treat to have him on. It's Robin Ince. <laughs> I loved your conversation about the uh, the, the insects and, and humane uh, murder of them because uh, it reminded me on the, I, I do a radio show called The Infinite Monkey Cage with Brian Cox. Now, how, um, how does that go? So, I'm interested to know how it would go for somebody who had a successful but relatively you know relatively successful career to then latch onto somebody who looms large in the national consciousness oh. and do some kind of audio <laughs> product. Do you know what? Can that go well for a person? Now, initially. My limpet-like action yes. towards a uh, theoretical physicist looked like the wrong turn in my career. But it turned out it was excellent. Yeah, it's been very... I, I, it's a really weird thing to see where that's all kind of gone. But, but sorry, I was just going to tell you that when we had, we had some insects on once, like, just to, to, and again, it was about the same thing in terms of uh, you know, the diet, the way we have to change it. And Brian is a real bon viveur. You know, he loves his kind of, oh, I love me merso. He's one of those wine, people who drinks wine... 
and always has to go, mm, I'm getting buttery mash. Are you getting buttery mash? <laughs> buttery mash and, and burnt toffee, right? That's the trick you have to... And the insects came out and he went, oh, I can't eat that. And he'll eat anything, right? Anyth- anything that's more sentient. He loves the idea of its murder. But for some reason, insects went, oh, no, I'm not going there with those crickets. Anyway, just so you know, he says I do his voice too camp and he's probably right. Anyway, so, <laughs> sorry. Robin, we, we asked you to bring along some ideas. Uh, you, you, you are the man with the brain the size of a planet, so you, we, we, we've, got, uh, we've got an embarrassment of riches here. What do you fancy diving into first? Well, I don't know. I mean, the, the, uh, the first thing is in terms of reasons to be cheerful, because that's what you asked me, is, is regulations. And, and I genuinely believe there should be compulsory stargazing, that at least once a month, Everyone in this country should be made to go out into, you know, a, a, somewhere also preferably which is quite nice and kind of dark. You know, there's, there's a lovely place, Hurstmonceau. I don't know if any of you know Hurstmonceau, which is uh, uh, where the, uh, the Astronomer Royal used to go. It's kind of, it's, it's owned down near Eastbourne. Beautiful, dark area to just observe the, the sky. Because I think one of the things that we don't do, uh, we don't get that sense. At the moment, I find it fascinating. Euston, because all the big buildings have been knocked down. Immediately, there's so much more more sky and you really yeah the the, 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 for whatever so so the huge hs2 HS2 yeah i think that's what it is and and the moment you walk out you realize how impoverished people are when they are you know remaining in cities of actually seeing the sky above them and whether that is the beauty of cloud formations or whether when you look up and you see like the lovely thing is when you start looking up at the night sky you will anyone who's done this will know that it, it starts off and you see a few of the brightest stars but as time goes on more and more of them come into your vision and I think that sense of our place in the universe, like if anyone here has ever, I, 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 was, uh, I was doing a, a book festival in uh, Totnes, and I had this wonderful bit, when people come up to me surreptitiously, there's always something quite intriguing, like once, once an 11 year old came up to me and just went, sorry I have a question for you, I'm wondering how can I test for certain that I'm not actually merely part of someone's dream, right, those are the kind of things people want to come up, and, I, and that was beautiful and we spent like half an hour trying to work out how you can test that, and this time uh, this woman came up to me, she was in her late 20s, she went, I hope this isn't too rude, but there's a secret garden just behind the house here. And my partner set up a telescope, and he wondered if you'd like to look at the rings of Saturn. <laughs> right? And, and we, you know, we all know what was and, going and on there. Was, yeah, and yeah. it was, exactly, yeah. it was. It was it was the rings of Saturn. The, uh, and and that's, that to me is, someone once said to me, do you ever get disappointed when people come and ask that and, and don't want to kind of, you know, and I go, no, what a much better thing <laughs> and if, than someone, and, and it was so and if you did, And is it better to just look, or is it better to look with sort of, Knowledge or guide or guiding guiding yourself. Knowledge, good thing or a bad, Robin. The, uh... <laughs> no, but do you want to know? I mean, so you know that's the milky doodah. Yeah, I think the milky doodah. You know a fruit and nut, but you're calling it the milky doodah. You know that's the. I'm afraid, Mr. Cabri, the milky doodah <laughs> has been perceived to be too Freudian yeah. in the marketplace. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, I think initially it doesn't matter. I mean, I think this is a very important thing about science generally and a lot of these ideas, which is do not immediately fear approaching them because you don't have the information that you think is required. Do you always see something new? Yeah. Yes. I think you will always... 
Yeah, it's, it's that moment. I think it's something that we don't do as human beings enough, which is that moment of stopping and, and just looking. You know, when we go around, you know, walking around London or walking around... A, so every single time, there'll be a certain moment what's, where you what, stop. What's the most exciting star-related discovery in the last decade? Well, well, I mean, I suppose the most exciting thing, which is not observable if you just, yeah. you know, kind of lie in a meadow, but the fact that a, a black hole has been properly observed and, and uh, you know, and has actually been, you know, we have an image of a black hole. Oh, that's because, right. Because yeah. a black hole is, you know, it, uh, until that moment, technically... They were still theoretical, right? So that is a very beautiful thing, which is, yes, it was, you know, like many things in science, once the maths works, once they've got the equation, but it means it does exist. The equation works, you know, that does kind of happen. But, but that moment is, 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 is an incredible... And where is that black hole? Uh, do you know what? I can't give you the exact, because yeah. I don't want you going there and ruining it, because yeah. then it will become much <laughs> like everyone, the Galapagos Islands. Yeah. It will end up becoming a tourist yeah, destination. Exactly. Oh, look, there's footprints all over the event horizon, <laughs> and you can't get them out. And you do you know what a black hole is, really? It's, it's a point of such... Right, if, if you think, right, so, so uh, this is always an intro, because I normally have a man to do this kind of work for me. And, <laughs> so you uh, listen to what Brian says. Yeah, then. I listen. My job is a professional idiot. My job when we tour around is to watch the audience and see the bit where they go, I don't know what he's talking about anymore. Yeah. And I come on and do a Brian Blessed impersonation for a while, and the audience assimilate what he said, and then they go, we understand it now. Maybe go back to the pretty young thing. And I go, yes, you may. Brian Blessed is from Ed's constituency. Yeah. I love Brian Blessed. But go on, tell me what a black well, hole How would Brian Blessed describe a black hole? It's bloody enormous! Look at I can take that bastard on, though! You think you're a singularity? Anyway, so, um, the, uh, I do like my voices. I mean, uh, very good. But, but it's, so it's something of such, so the, the Earth has mass. Yep. And, and the Earth's mass With means... With you so far. That, so, yep. so, so gravity, that's, that's yep. why... Uh, now, yep. th- as things become more massive, a neutron star, for instance, I think, I, I'm trying to think now, I can't remember the exact weight of uh, the matter of a neutron star, a teaspoonful of that, I think is something like 10 trillion kilograms. That's, I'm making that up, but it's... It might be 12, I think. So, be, so yeah. as uh. you get more and more, as things get that, that, that power, so a singularity, the black hole... Is something is an incredible density, but is so so. It's the end of a star which has now reached such a tiny like, but it's still all of that matter now condensed that nothing can escape from it. So so gravity, nothing, anything that goes in cannot, and that includes light, cannot go back out again. And I hate to it. ask this question, but it's not very cheerful. But will this happen to the Earth one day? No, we'll die from lots of other things, so don't worry about that. It's <laughs> the, the good thing is we won't see any of the big dramas. What? Why doesn't it happen to us, then? Because well, we're not a star. It, it, and, and also, it, it requires... It's it, very often it's it's about the mass uh, in the first place. So a, the sun, for instance, it, it won't turn into into uh, a black hole. It, it will kind of you know it will basically it, it will peter out. It, it will swell into a red giant. It probably I don't think will. For the most recent thing that I read, I don't think it, it, it does actually have that that burst which will destroy the Earth. But by that point, we won't be here. The conditions will not be uh, for living things. Right. But it's also remember this is somewhere off. This yeah. is a beautiful thing which I also find fascinating is that some. Sometimes when you hear these stories, they they terrify us, and yet they are so far ahead. We have so many other things to deal with, and in in our short lifespan, so many joys to find. Don't worry 
about the sun swelling into a red giant, right? There's, there's a lot of other, you know, frankly, I've, I've seen who's in the current cabinet, and yeah. there's a lot of other issues to deal with, a lot of human issues to deal with. There's, there's a, a, a lecture, um, I, I can't remember which scientist was, was saying that, and, and uh, it was talking about the end of, uh, of, of the sun, the end of the planet Earth, and uh, someone came up and said, I'm, I'm, I'm so worried, you said the sun was going to swell into a red giant, destroying the Earth, and did you say in five million years? <laughs> And uh, so to it, no, five billion. They went, oh, thank heavens for that. <laughs> now, you know, that's kind of... So I think, you know, that it's, it's an interesting... It's a not, of, of all the kind of reasons not to be cheerful, that's not right, one okay. of them. So you've got some ideas which yeah. could make the world a more... I've just realised we haven't place. actually really done that, any of that. that well, we idea. can yeah, rattle, but, through, but, rattle yeah. through. We could do a couple of minutes on each. Uh, uh, some ideas which could make the world a better place if implemented... Give it, give it your first one. Right? Um, I think all newspapers should be packaged the same as pornography in newsagents. So you know the way that um, pornography is on the top shelf. I know, by the way, about the top shelf because it's where they keep Viz as well, which is ridiculous. People still give you a look when you buy Viz. And a woman at my local WH Smith, my husband used to buy that. I won't let him anymore. It's bloody Viz. Yeah. It's just some comic and, strip. and you can't buy it on the self service machine at WH. No, it does a light, doesn't it? And no, everyone yeah, thinks yeah, you brought something. I'm, I'm merely buying Viz. It's a comical yes, magazine yeah. from the northeast. <laughs> But um, so I think one of the problems we have with in, in terms of our newspapers is even if you don't read the newspapers, you go in and you see all of the headlines. Oh, you see, yeah. and I, I'm kind of quite anti. I'm afraid the, the British newspapers as, as, as a whole. Um, I, I think you know George Orwell was right in the fact that propaganda was not actually you didn't need it in in, in England because they just print whatever you wanted anyway. And, and I find it tremendous. So even if people don't buy them, you think they still have? Yeah, they've still seen it. And I, I mean, one of the other things that I mentioned was I would love to see the end of the review of the newspapers every morning on television and on radio because that's not reviewing the news. It's reviewing what has already been filtered and decided is going to be the news. And that's a very different thing. And, and I think there's so much... It, I, I find it so discouraging. when like, there, there was a story, I'll just use a kind of a reasonably banal story that I saw people getting very about a few weeks ago, which was um, apparently Cambridge University Freshers' Fair had banned the army from uh, being at the Freshers' Fair, the Careers' Fair, right? Now, it took me three minutes uh, on the internet to find the direct source of actually the story, and that's not the story at all. What they said was that they didn't want uh, any of, of the Careers' uh, Fair people bringing guns, and uh, and arms generally, Sounds which as reasonable. far as I remember, I don't remember any career fair where that. So it's not even a thing that was. And then someone said, I saw all these people raging about it, and I said, but this is actually the story. And no one cared by then because they wanted to maintain their anger. They were more they, the enjoyment of the fury. These bloody snowflake teenagers who don't allow the firing of Uzis anymore just during the, the innocent moment in a freshers' fair where, yes, occasionally a pigeon or an elk is killed, but that's the way of things, right? So... I think it bleeds through, and we do, and we like to think of ourselves as free thinkers. You know, if I always worry anyone who actually describes themselves as a free thinker, I think immediately has probably just read a Jordan Peterson book and made up their mind about <laughs> their, their their lobster fetishism. But um, I, I kind of I, I think it's very unhealthy. And I, I mean, I, I wouldn't. I certainly, you know, from your experience, I, I don't want to bring it, yeah. but. Your treatment, I, I, I felt there were things that would just bleed through. It didn't into, go so well. Yeah. yeah, and it was not fair. And I, I genuinely don't, and I, I mean that. I, I, I think 
and that's the unfortunately it also sets the agenda i think a lot i mean my dad at 90 years old by the way 90 years old changed he, he used to he'd read the telegraph his whole life and he, and he rang me up and he said uh, robin i've been reading the telegraph now for 70 years and do you know what i've just realized it's rubbish i don't want to read it anymore <laughs> right and, and he said, do you think I should start a subscription to The Guardian? Wow. And so at 90 years Amazing. old, about 89 years old, he now reads The Guardian. And everything is so different for him. He hasn't seen, you know, and, and it genuinely is a very different newspaper for him than, than anything that he'd read before. And I think he realises as well how much some of his ideas about the world were shaped by, because most of us like to imagine we're critical thinkers, but we're not really. Newspapers would be in the bags that they sell mucky books in. Yeah, so you, you've got yeah. to get, you know, and some of them will be on higher shelves than others. And, and how, how would this affect, like, the free newspapers that they give out on public transport? Well, that's the thing, you see. This is one of my rules, is also you are no longer allowed to read the newspaper on your commute in. Because I think we start the day very often, we almost instantaneously make ourselves depressed. Because bad news, miserabilism, spite and envy are the things that predominantly sell uh, in, in, in newspapers, um, that means that you, you wake up in the morning and there's the newspaper and oh dear oh she's awful isn't she oh young people have done a thing oh, so like that so the metro is no longer given out right instead the vendors of metro uh, give you a painting each morning Right, so you go to work with a JMW Turner or your Yoikusama or a Stanley Spencer, and you sit on that. Maybe five. You can have five paintings if you want. Right there, and you just sit there staring at beauty. So to start the day looking at beauty rather than looking at kind of you know venality and spite, I think would be. Uh, fa- I mean, when I stop, once I stop reading the newspapers. Um, and people can't say, like, where'd you get your news from? Well, actually, do you know what? A lot of it doesn't necessarily matter. If I actually count the number of times that I have taken genuine, positive and useful action after being depressed by a news story, it's very limited. You know, I'm, I'm not of that generation which went off and fought in the Spanish Civil War. So all the news does to me is go, oh, humanity! And that's it. It hasn't created anything positive. So I think that in some ways, distancing ourselves from that, and I, I think Stanley Spencer always used to um, start the day. He's one of my favourite paint, painters, such an interesting and eccentric individual. And, and he would always start the day uh, by listening to Bach, listening to a piece of his music. And he said to start with something that magnificent at the beginning of the day means that then he would go, so he'd go out with his little cart, with his paints and his canvas, and he'd think, right, now I'm going to try and paint the best thing that I can. So I think that thing of starting with positive human achievement and remarkable human achievement. So, so are we having Robin Ince's reform of Fleet Street? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that one gets in. I think we've got time for just one more idea. And I noticed... So sorry, I'm overly verbose. <laughs> I noticed you brought something with you. Oh, uh, yes, this is... Remiss of me uh, not to um, ask you about this. This is... Uh, well, what I thought would be a nice idea, I thought all men... Again, this is the, one of my regulations. All men should be taught to knit or embroider. I think it's a really good idea. I just would love... Because I think, again, it's about this way of... There's, there's one of my favourite uh, human beings that fascinates me. Uh, is a man called Ernest Thesiger. I don't know if any of you know... Ernest Thesiger was a wonderful actor. He was in, in uh, two of the great kind of camp horror films of the 30s, The Old Dark House and Bride of Frankenstein. And uh, he, uh, he fought on the Western Front in the First World War, and then he was injured, his hands were injured, and he was invalided out. He was also a keen embroiderer. 
And he decided it would be a rather wonderful idea if uh, those soldiers who were now bedbound, uh, who had been injured, were taught to embroider so they could make money. And, of course, a lot of the, the, the kind of top brass, oh, a terrible thing, young men embroidering, where will this lead? <laughs> to beauty. And uh, we don't <laughs> want beauty. And... Uh, and so when I was reading about him, he's also one of my favourite stories. Where, where he was once interviewed about what it was like on the Western Front. And I said, Ernest Estra, what was it like on the Western Front? He went, oh, the noise. <laughs> and the people. The noise and the people. And he just had this... And, and there's beautiful images of him. He played Polonius in, in uh, Laurence Olivier's Hamlet. And uh, you, you see pictures of him just at the side of the stage, fully dressed as Polonius, just embroidering. And I also, I trust people who knit unless they're near a guillotine. Have you ever, have you ever knitted? <laughs> I've, I've never knitted. I'm sort of quite cack-handed. I think do you, how do you think stab- Justine would feel about you not bringing a cookbook home, but bringing a knitting pattern, knitting patterns? I think I'd stab myself, honestly. I'm sort of quite worried about the knitting. I think it could go quite wrong. I think embroidery, then. Start with embroidery. Do you think? Or, or even, you if know, I did crochet. embroidery at school. Is that possible? Yeah. So... I'm not yeah, sure I was scientific. Not sure I had great uh, aptitude for it. Would you? I'm, I'm into it as an idea, though. It sort of t- t- ties into not not just beauty, but mindfulness as well. Yeah. Can we add the last one more? Which is you want us to cut our opinions by a third? Yeah. I quite I, like this idea. This comes at it's it, it's stolen from a wonderful man called Neil Postman, who some of you might have read one of some of Neil Postman's books. He wrote a brilliant book called "Amusing Ourselves to Death." which was tremendously prescient. And his initial idea was who really won in their imagining of the future? Was it Aldous Huxley or was it George Orwell? You know, which version is it? Do we live in 1984 or do we live in Brave New World? And in the book, very early on, he says, cut down your opinions by a third. I think we could probably do that, say, probably by two-thirds now because we've so kind of fetishised. You know, this is what runs Twitter, doesn't it? I've got an opinion, I've got an opinion. I think it's going to be popular. I think it's going to be popular. Only three likes and no retweets new opinion new opinion like that and then you get told off I, I, i'm a little bit disturbed robin you don't seem to have had an opinion today about the fact that heinz are redesigning their salad cream bottle and you know i just not you know that thing of being or, or the fact that so much opinion is negative like when i write i mean i don't don't i kind of use social media but i i um i try as hard as possible if i see something that i don't like you know, whether it's a film or, 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 or uh, uh, you know, radio show that I've listened to, whatever it is, I don't tweet about it. Because I think also one of the things with our opinions is they, uh, again, the negative kind of thrive. There's so many things you just don't need an opinion about. And so many things where your opinion can be, here's something I saw that was magnificent. Like the Aubrey Beardsley exhibition, by the way, at the uh, Tate Britain. It's bloody fantastic. You know, that, that to me is... A, so I think if we just think, why do I need an opinion on this? Perhaps I don't. And again, I think this all, so much of it feeds back to the newspapers. So much of it feeds back to, that's what it's, you know, so much of what is in our newspapers is is someone's opinion and so and, and they have this oh sorry I'm talking to you well now can we all pledge to reduce our opinions emissions and opinions by a third yeah <clears throat> Robin thank you so much it's always a joy Robin Ince thank you Woo! Time for us to go. It is. Thank you so much for coming tonight. Uh, we should thank our guests. Belinda Gordon and Vicky Hurd. And, and Robin, you just saw there. Also, Emma Corsham, Joel Pearson, Joe Kenyon, who produced tonight. And Thor, who's been doing the sound. Oh, yes, yeah, Thor. Let's hear it for Thor. 
Um, thank you so much for coming. We've enjoyed it enormously. We don't get to do so as many of these as we'd like, and it's uh, the first one we've done in ages. And we're pleased that we've sort of, you know, carried the show has carried on, aren't we? Absolutely. So thank you so much for coming. Lots to think about. Stay, stay safe. Yeah. Um, all right. He's been Ed Miliband. He's been Jeff Lloyd. And these have been Re- 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 Thank you very much. <laughs>